0: John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. When Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fishes which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fishes likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he saith unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth a disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad amongst the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your words unto us, that again we might see Jesus and his ministry and what he has called us to do for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to review just a little bit the... um, evangelical context of what is set before us here. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked about the things that are in John 21, having done the baptisms in between. Um, so we need to appreciate that at the beginning of the Gospels, Jesus had told his disciples that he would make them fishers of men, future tense. In Luke chapter 5, we've looked at that section and we saw how that the Lord came unto the um, Uh, disciples onto the boats, and they took him a little bit off the shore so that he could preach to the multitudes that were there. While they were out there, they had uh, admitted to the Lord that they had caught nothing, and he told them to cast their nets into the deep, which they did. And they drew up such a large number of fish that the nets we're continuing to break. We looked at the Greek at that, and it's not like the nets just broke at that time, but the nets had been in a continuous state of disrepair. And we also find that the disciples are mending their nets and, and cleaning them. And we saw the nets there looking at some of the parables in the Scripture, how the nets represent the gospel. And so we can appreciate that in the context of what took place there, that they are not... Um, Their doctrine is fuzzy. We know that the disciples at that point don't know very much because unless you have the Holy Ghost in you, your understanding of what's in the Scripture is going to be purely academic. You're not going to have an appreciation of who Christ really is. I mean, the Scripture tells us that absent the Holy Ghost, you cannot say that Jesus is the Lord. If you say that of a truth, then the Holy Ghost is in you. And we know that in John chapter 20, the Lord breathes on them and they receive the Holy Ghost. So if I can use the analogy of the ships that they are in at the time representing churches... They're trying to drag them all in. They can't get them in the ships. The ships are starting to sink. Their gospel is all goofed up. And so that's the state of the church today. People are not preaching a good, sound uh, gospel with good, sound theology and good, sound doctrine. And it quite frankly, it drags the whole church down. Eventually in churches, the goats outnumber the sheep and the uh, tares outnumber the wheat. And they get into leadership and they pull the whole thing down. So the Lord is going to teach them doctrine, of course, all throughout the Gospels, and in particular, once they receive the Holy Ghost, and we've talked about this in the past and seen it in the past. When you get to the book of Acts, Peter, who has gone from um, impetuous in what he says and the things that he, he does, um, slows down a little bit, and suddenly he becomes a theological giant. You know, he starts quoting from the Old Testament, not only... Uh, do we appreciate that he's quoting from the Old Testament, but he's placing the proper meaning and context of the things that were taught in the Old Testament and how they apply to Christ. So we go from Luke 5, where, um, where we saw those things, to now here we are in John chapter 21, and we're going to see that when, they, um, when the Lord tells them exactly where to put the net, why they catch uh, 153 fish, so in Luke, we don't know how many fish they got. We don't know how many get to shore. The nets are, are continuing to break. But here in John 21, they catch exactly 153, and every one of those fish are brought to Christ. So we see a different section where he said, I will make you a fisher of men. To here now, they are fisher of men. And we're speaking, of course, in, uh, in, uh, in an allegorical context because they are, in fact, fishing for ships, but we know that fishing for fish but we know that the fish represent um, Christians and the body of water at large represents peoples. And we saw all of that um, last time. So here they are in John uh, 21, the first 11 verses. We see that they have caught nothing as before. And following Jesus' instructions explicitly, which is to preach a sound doctrine, sound theology, they are going to use the net and they're going to catch a specific number of fish and every one of them is going to be brought to shore. And we saw the the doctrine of that from John chapter 6. All that uh, the Father hath given me will come to me, and I shall lose none of them. And So all of those come to shore. So we're going to go in John 21 from an evangelical context of catching fish to now shepherding and feeding. So we're going from um, evangelical, the outreach, to caring for the flock and feeding for the flock And there's a known quantity that are set before us here. So one of the things that we should appreciate is that the shepherds themselves must be fed of Christ. If any of you have ever done any teaching, you know that you have to spend time on your knees and time in the word, first feeding yourself of what the scripture says of who Christ is so that you can then feed other um, people. In verse 5 here of John chapter 21, Jesus asked the question, Have ye any meat? So we should appreciate in the context there that he's asking them two things. Do they have any fish? And since they say no, well, cast your net over here. But also, do you have anything to eat? Because what's the first thing they're going to do when they get to shore is they're going to eat the food that he has prepared for them. And what's the first thing he's going to tell Peter to do? You need to go out and feed my sheep. And what do you feed people with? Meat is the language they use in Scripture. It doesn't necessarily mean red meat. It just means food. That's the way it's used in in our Bible here, that meat meaning food. So there's a different thread we're going to take out from here, and and Scripture is written in, in this way, that things are always to be understood in context, but you can take a thread that goes horizontal, and something will mean one thing, fish, or you can take it vertically, and it's going to mean something else. It's going to talk about spiritual meat, which is what Christ is. That is what people should be fed. So when we consider what came before this in John chapter 6, we saw that it was in fact a literal fulfillment of what we just read in Ezekiel 33. It was a literal fulfillment where Ezekiel 34, excuse me, Ezekiel 34 was talking about the shepherd that would come, who is Christ, and he would feed them in the hills of Israel. The literal fulfillment of that came in John chapter 6. But again, I wanted you to see the spiritual context of the heavenly Mount Zion because that's where the Lord's going to take it in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, he feeds the um, 5,000 people and he talks to them about what that really is. In John chapter 6, verse 27, the Lord says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for unto him hath God the Father sealed. So don't spend your energies and your time laboring so much over... um, feeding your flesh, you know, we go to work every day, we have to do that. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 says you have to go out and work, so you have to go out and work to provide for your family. But he's saying that's not what you ought to be laboring for. That ought not to be where your heart and your energies are your primary focus. Your primary focus should be for the meat that does not perish and which endures unto everlasting life. So then the Lord's going to make that statement. He's just fed the 5,000 on a mountain, okay, then he makes that statement. And then the next place he goes with it is in verse 32 of John chapter 6. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. He's making a distinction of the bread that came down from above, you know, the manna. He's making a distinction between that bread and himself. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, the bread of God is a person. He's making that crystal clear. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He's talking about himself because in him is everlasting life. And if you eat that bread, if you eat that meat, you'll have everlasting life. Verse 34, then saith they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus saith unto them, I am am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Come to me, eat of me, meaning believe on me, then ye shall have everlasting life. So he's setting that up here for us so that we would appreciate that the true bread of life is him. And it's not something uh, material, but it's rather something spiritual. So back in John chapter 21, like I said, have you any meat? Well, they don't have that spiritual meat because he's on the shore. So when do they come to the shore? What do they do? They come and they dine. And who has prepared that meal? Jesus has. I am the bread of life and I will give you to feed. He had said the word that he will give it to them. So it is given by Jesus uh, the food that they are going to eat. And uh, previously he had read that the bread was given from the Father. So he's telling us, he's showing us that he is the Father, and he has shared with us that I and my Father are one. So in this wonderful transition here, we're going to move from evangelical outreach to feeding of the shepherds, and the shepherds then go and feed the sheep. So I would hope we would all have an appreciation for that in a pastoral context about how the shepherds, people that teach, must feed themselves of Christ, that they may go out and feed others. Now, in Ezekiel 34, I told you that I wanted you to pay particular attention to that there is going to be one shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, verses 23 and 24, he specifically said there is one shepherd. And he takes possession over his sheep. All of the sheep belong to Christ, and he is the one shepherd. So um, if we can... Um, use this in terms of where the church has been over the years the Pope is not the shepherd it's Christ I am not the shepherd, it's Christ I'm an under shepherd if I can use that language where Christ feeds me, gives me something and then I would then feed you, I am like a water boy or a, a somebody that works to serve other people that's, what, that's the way the Lord has set it up that he feeds me, gives me bread and he gives me water and then I go give that to uh, the, the sheep Um, we did see that take place, remember, on the mountains of Israel in John chapter 6. They had uh, a little bit of bread and some fishes, and the Lord multiplied it and told the disciples to go give it to the people. So the disciples didn't generate the bread. They got it from Christ. He multiplied it, and then they gave it to um, the people. They distributed it. And at the end of that process, there was 12 baskets left over, one for each of the disciples. So everybody's going to get fed there, and they're all fed by Christ. And he's the source of it all, and we serve him. So um, we're going to see that here in the order that things take place, because just as they were fed with bread and fish on the mountains of Israel, when they come to the shore, that's the order that is presented here, bread and fish. So there's a, the parallelism is, uh, is really set before us here. Now, also in this, with this uh, understanding of um, evangelical work first and then shepherding, Um, You see a similar parallel in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read verses 11 and 12 there, talking about how God has given gifts to the people in the church. And he says in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, speaking of where the gifts come from, and he, Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so you see the evangelists, evangelists, thank you, evangelists preceding the pastors and teachers. you got to go out, preach to them out there, and then they come into the church where uh, they are taught uh, in greater detail by the pastors and teachers. And what is the purpose of that? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith, because people are coming in the door with different understandings and different appreciations and... um, I don't know anybody that hasn't brought a bunch of baggage into the church, myself included, and it takes a long time to unload that baggage and, and take out of your head wrong things about what you were taught about Christ. Put those things out and put the right things in there. So, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto, now who were we be compared with, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You never compare yourself with another person. You compare yourself only with Christ. We are being conformed to his image. You're not being conformed to my image, nor am I being conformed to the image of any man, save the man, Jesus Christ. So we can appreciate that we also see this order elsewhere in Scripture. Um, Now, as the Lord is setting this up here, as we move into the second section of John chapter 21, uh, I want us to appreciate that it starts... With love. That is the motivation behind everything that we do. It's the motivation for the gospel, it is the motivation for the covenant within the Godhead, it's the motivation for everything that takes place with respect to the uh, church. Um, when we look at verse 7 here, when the Lord is on the shore and the disciples are in the ship, who is it that first perceives that it is Jesus? It's John, the, beloved, the, God, the evangelist, that's known as um, Beloved One. So I want us to appreciate that it is love that first perceives that it's the Lord, and then when Peter hears about it, Peter goes into the water, as typical with his personality, and then he swims to shore. So I want us to appreciate that it is the heart first that, that understands who the Lord is. It is the heart first that has an apprehension of the Lord. Why is that? Well, that's what it says in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse 6. In second Corinthians four verse six, we read that, "For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness." He's making a direct reference to Genesis chapter 1 um, verse three. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, here God is telling us quite plainly that He put that understanding right in your heart. It didn't come through your head like you weighed a bunch of doctrine or you like, you know, Jesus did this miracle, that miracle, and the other one. Uh, he must be the Christ, he must be God. Now that people saw those miracles and didn't apprehend and understand who he was. It's not until he shines that light directly into your heart that you can appreciate and understand who he is. And Romans chapter ten, again, it also speaks about belief in the heart. Romans chapter 10 verses nine and ten, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe." where in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the belief a person has must be in his heart. There are a lot of people that believe intellectually and academically that Jesus is the Messiah, but in the day of uh, visitation... Um, it's what is going to be in their heart, that is what will be confessed. What Not what their intellectual understanding was, but what did they understand in their heart. Now, you'll recall from the baptism, what was the first question I asked all four of our candidates, I asked them, do you love the Lord? That's the first question I asked because that's the salient one, that's the most important one. Do you love the Lord? I don't care what you understand about him yet, you'll get there, um, but that's where it starts. If you look at Deuteronomy, don't turn there. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and other places about where it talks about what our apprehension and relationship with the Lord should be, he says it here very clearly, uh, very early on in the Bible. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. That's Elohim, which is a plural word, and he's telling you that Trinity is one. Verse 5, he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart... And with all thine soul and with all thy mind. If you think of man, which we you should, as a tripart creature, soul, excuse me, spirit, soul, body, working from inward to outward, that's where the heart is, in the center of a man, and then he's working out here, starting with heart, soul, and then might. When the question is asked of the Lord, what is the greatest commandment? He says, in every case he starts with the heart. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul, and then he'll say either mind or might. But he always starts with the heart. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 22. You'll find it in Mark chapter 12 in a couple places. Thou shalt love thy Lord with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, understanding, soul, strength. And then in Luke, heart, soul, strength, mind. So it's always working from the inward to the outward. It's always with the heart. And so that's where the Lord is going to take us here. In John chapter 21. Now, another statement about the heart, and we uh, know these things, but sometimes we don't put the pieces of the puzzle together. In um, Romans chapter 3, verse 11, it says that there is none that understandeth. Doesn't start here. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. If they did understand, They would seek after him, but they don't understand, so they don't seek after him. So God comes to people like we saw him do with the disciples, and he puts that understanding and love right in their heart. He shines that light right into their heart. And then they begin to apprehend with the other faculties. So in a kind of a metaphorical sense, we see that happening on the boat. John, the beloved disciple, it's the Lord. Peter, with the understanding, in the water. Off he goes over to visit with um, the Lord on the shore. Also, in Jeremiah 17, helping us also to appreciate the heart, and this is a good segue to what, where we're going next. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, speaking of the heart, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God's got to go straight to the heart and put that information in there as to who Jesus is, That shine that glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ right in your heart. Who could know the heart? The answer is not you. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. So the Lord is the one who searches the heart. The Lord is the one who searches the heart. He knows what's going on in your heart. He is not deceived by it. Um, He knows how wicked it is. It's you and I that don't understand our own hearts until the Lord begins to reveal the nature of our heart to us, which is what he's going to do to Peter here when he asks him a few questions. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says something very similar to what we read in Jeremiah in terms of the Lord searching the heart. In verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So everybody reads it. Not everybody. People open up and they go, oh, they're talking about the Bible. Um, Jesus is the word of God. And so this is going to morph here to go from a book to a person. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the deciding asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Notice how he's dividing between the spirit and the soul and the body, the tripart nature of man, even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows not only what you're thinking, he knows why you're thinking it. Verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. So it morphs from, you think it's talking about the Bible, but when you get to verse 13, the eyes of him, Christ, Speaking about Christ, he is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, here we are in John chapter 21, and Jesus is going to have an an interesting conversation with Peter. Now, I have given you a handout, and what it is is a copy of verses 15 and 16 and 17 of uh, the Interlinear Bible because I want you to understand and appreciate that Jesus is going to ask Peter three different questions. Peter's going to give three different answers, and Jesus is going to give Peter three different um, instructions, three different commissions. So you're going to need to look at that to understand that there are limitations in translating between one language language, And another, and it's really apparent here when you look at the Greek here that three different questions, three different answers, three different um, commissions. So Peter doesn't understand the nature of his heart, and the Lord is going to help us open that up and look at him. Now you've heard the the term "talk is cheap," and it is in uh, in John chapter 13, verse 38. I'm going to turn there. I didn't mark that page, so it'll take me a second to find it. John 13, 38. Um, um, Peter has been boasting about how much he loves the Lord and how he will die for him. In verse 37, I'll pick it up in verse 36 of John chapter 13. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whether I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Hey, I'm going to the cross. You can't follow me there. But later you're gonna you'll be able to follow me. That's gonna come to fruition later in Peter's life. Verse thirty seven Peter saith unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. There he is boasting about how much he loves the Lord and how by golly I'll lay down my very life for you. Verse thirty eight, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? That's a good question. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. So there he has boasted that he would lay down his life for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 72 through 74, um, Peter has boasted that he would, uh, that he loves Jesus more than the others. 26 verse 31, I got ahead of myself. Verse 26, 31 through 34. Matthew 26, 31 through 34. Then Jesus saith unto them, all ye, in other words, all you guys right here, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. I know what scripture says. I know what's in your heart. I know how this is going to play out tonight. And I'm telling you what the scripture says. Um, so it is going to happen. You are all going to be offended. You are all going to be scattered. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Verse 33, Peter's boast. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. In other words, all these other knuckleheads around here might be offended of you and scattered, but not me. Okay, that's what he's saying here. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise, said all the other disciples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, I don't mean to laugh, but you know that's the way we are. That's what, that's, we don't appreciate and understand um, the nature of our heart and what it would really mean when the time comes to lay down our life for Christ. You won't know that until the time comes. And unless God gives you the grace to do that, unless God gives you the grace to suffer for him, you won't do it. So um, this plays itself out. Now we'll look at Matthew 26 and verse 31 through 34. This is going to play itself out. Matthew 26, 72. Matthew 26, 72. And I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up in verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying... This is just a young woman. A damsel comes to him. This is how brave he is. Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch... Another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath. Now he's, he's ratcheting up his language here. Now he's with an oath. I do not know the man. It's not that I don't know Jesus. I don't know the man. I don't have any idea who this guy is. Man, I don't know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou art one of them for thy speech bereath thee. In other words, he's got an accent like those of Galilee. You, you, you have to know him. Verse 74, then began he to curse and to swear. The language ratchets up even more. He's more vehement of his denial, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, which said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. In Luke chapter 22, verse 61, a detail is added that Jesus looked at him, and they caught eyes, and then he wept, because all it takes is a look from Christ to convict. And that's where he received his conviction, was just a look from Christ. So here you are, you think, okay, you're you're Peter, and you go, okay, I have wept bitterly. Clearly, my heart has been laid bare before the Lord. He knows that I've repented from what I have done, and let's just let sleeping dogs lie. And that's intended use of the word. Um, So let's just let things lie here. Well, Christ is going to pull out from his heart more information about this, and we're going to see where you really are with with respect to me. So the scene is set before us here. They come to the shores, and what do they see? Uh, In verse 9, we see that there is a um, fire of coals. There's a fire of coals on the shore. Where had I last seen a fire of coals? It only appears one other place in the Scripture. It appears in the Gospel of John when Peter was warming himself... While Jesus was being terribly abused, Peter was warming himself in front of a fire of coals. So there's a wonderful scene set up for us here to kind of bring things to Peter's mind about how he behaved when Jesus was being abused and how he denied him while he was yet taking care of the concerns of his flesh. It was a little cold. He was warming himself before a fire of coals. So here we are on the shore, a fire of coals, helping us draw these scenes together. Now, we are also told in verse 14 that this is the third time the Lord comes to them. So we have three denials. The Lord has come to them three times. The Lord has also brought peace to the disciples when he came before, twice on one day and then another on a third time. But each time he says, peace be unto you, my peace I give you. So every time the Lord comes to his beloved, he always brings them peace. So we have peace with the Lord, but that doesn't mean he's not going to drill down into your heart so he, you can learn what's in there because he knows what's in there. It's you and I that don't know what's in our heart, and that has to be brought up. So just as he's doing with Peter, he does with all of us. And so we have, in, as I read in Hebrews 4.13, that all things are naked and open unto the eyes with whom we have to do. So he's going to start to open up Peter's heart. And so three separate questions, three separate answers, three separate commissions. So verse 15 so when they had dined, all right, they've already been taken care of, the Lord is fed, and when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, agape thou me more than these. Do you agape me more than these? That's the first question I'm asking. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Because you said you did. Do you? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Thou knowest that I philo you. Different word. He doesn't answer the question. You know that I feel that I you. Philo is like friend. And we should appreciate that in our culture, we use the word friend um, almost in a colloquial sense. You don't really mean it. To be a friend of somebody, you need to have a close relationship with them. We have lots of acquaintances. What is that? What, Facebook? There is not a friend in there. It's, it's just an electronic relationship of some kind. I had a person ask us the other day in that context. They said, do you have many friends? And I said, No. And they were upset because they were um, very active in their church and like, you know, why do Christians not have lots of friends? Well, I'll tell you why Christians don't have lots of friends, because you are not to be a friend of the world. If any man is a friend of the world, he is the enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. If you're a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. So this language is coming up in the scriptures here. To be a friend of the world and to be a friend of people that are in the world is to be a friend of their their worldly ways, is to be a friend of the, um, you know, you're engaging in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and you don't have your eyes fixed on heavenly things. So Peter is, um, he's advancing himself in terms of his relationship with the Lord. Jesus asked if you agape me. We are to agape our enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. You know, bless them. Um, agape is different than, than philia. So Jesus asked, you agape me? <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm your friend. Well, I didn't ask you if you were my friend. I asked you if you loved me. And I didn't ask you if you loved me. I asked you if you loved me more than them. That's a different question than asking you if you love me. So Peter doesn't answer the question, but the Lord gives him a commission. He says, feed my lambs. My lambs, feed my lambs. So the Lord's working in his heart. I have not cast you off from your ministry. I want you to feed my lambs. Verse 16 He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, agape thou me. Do you love me? Different question than the first one. Now, I'm not asking you if you love Jesus more than the person sitting next to you. I'm asking you specifically, do you love the Lord? That's what I asked the people when they were uh, baptized. I didn't ask anybody, by the way, do you love me more than this guy that's standing in line next? I didn't ask that question. Do you love the Lord? That's the question he asks him. Do you love me? And he says, yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. I appreciate that he's falling back onto, well, you you know the, my heart, I don't know, but yeah, I, you know that I love you. Um, you know that I feel you, you. He still hasn't directly answered what Jesus has said. He saith unto him, the Greek word there is shepherd my sheep, shepherd my sheep. So we're going from feeding my lambs to shepherding my sheep. Those are two different things. Feeding lambs is uh, different than feeding sheep because he's going to close with in verse 17. He's going to say, feed my sheep. Start with lambs that 's how people come into the church. young Christians they can 't eat meat, they can drink milk, and you find that in first Corinthians oh i've got my notes in here, so you know where it says Where I have first fed you with um, milk, but you ought to be eating meat now it 's kind of in a critical context. Thank you. So here we are in chapter three. He says, um, "I have fed you with milk and not with meat. for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able so there's a criticism of the church at Corinth that all Christians should grow in the uh, grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3:19. So, but initially you can only have milk, so because you, you're lambs. Eventually you ought to be having meat, more um, heavier doctrine, heavier theology about who Christ is and the things of the Lord. So it starts with sheep, it uh, starts with lambs, ends with sheep. But feeding is different than shepherding. But you know, shepherding is watching over the sheep. Keeping the wolves out of the church, um, helping people grow, and making sure that they don't go astray. That's all part of shepherding as opposed to feeding. So a different commission here, but he gives that to him. Now, verse 17. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, Felioest thou me. Now Jesus has flipped it, and he's using the word that Peter is using. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, filio thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. He's relying, he's falling back on the omniscience of Jesus who is God. The word knowest there, you can see that I've uh, placed that in front of you. Two different Greek words to help us to understand that one has to do with a a perception. Jesus knows what's in the heart and that he knows intimately the relationship that Peter has with him. So Peter's falling back on that. And that's what we have to do too. Do I love the Lord? Well, I Yes, I love the Lord, but to the degree and the strength with which I love him is only God knows. And he knows where my heart is. And his goal is always to take my heart from where it is to a greater sense of unity with himself. Um, and so the Lord continues to work with this here. So Peter has advanced himself uh, as a friend of Jesus. And there Jesus has really very few friends. He tells us quite frankly that the world hates him and the world's going to hate you because I sent you just like the world hates me because it hates God who sent me. Um, Abraham was said to be a friend of God. If you are a friend of God, and Jesus says that to his uh, disciples, he says that I have uh, before you were servants, but now I'm calling you friends. So yeah, you are my friend. You are a friend of Jesus, hence the hymn. You know, we sang about being a, uh, Jesus is our friend, or we have a friend in Jesus. Jesus had told his disciples, greater love hath this than no man, then he lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He did not lay down his life for the world, only for his friends. In like manner, um, we are the friends of Jesus because of the relationship that we have with him. So let us appreciate the term in the scripture, Of friend versus um, just this sloppy relationship the way people tend to relate in this world here. So Peter has presumed to set himself up there. Jesus is reminding him, well, you know, I lay down my life for my friends. Would you lay down your life for me? You said you would, did you? No, you did not. Not only did you not lay down your life for me, you even denied me. So the subject never even come up as to whether or not you would lay down your life for me because you completely denied that you knew me. So the Lord has brought all of this out. And that's a very good thing. The Lord has to bring these things out of all of our hearts so that we would appreciate um, where we are with respect to our relationship with him. And so as we continue here, the Lord says, okay, feed my sheep. He gives them a commission here. And then he tells them, guess what? Well, you are going to die for me. In Verse 18, verily, verily, I say unto you, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself. You know, you did where you, what you wanted to do. You, you went where you wanted to go um, when you were young. Um, But when you're old, you shall be stretched forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. If there's any question what that means, he tells us in verse 19, he spake, signifying what death, he should glorify God. So he's telling him, yes, you are going to have this glory, or God is going to be glorified in your death. So you said you would do it, you didn't do it, you're going to do it, and by God's grace will you do it, because only by God's grace can we glorify God. So... In verse 19, he tells them, this is the what death you're going to have, and you're going to glorify God in that. And then when he spoke of this, he said unto Peter, follow me. Follow me. Very simple language. Follow me. And what does Peter do? He turns around and he looks at John. I'm like, the flesh remains. We all struggle with this. And here it is set right before us. God has already believed, breathed on him and given the, him the Holy Ghost. He's given him an instruction, follow me. And then the first thing he does is he turns around. Well, what about John? <laughs> well, no, I told you how you're going to die. I'm not talking about John here. I've asked you to follow me. You're walking on the shore with me here. Uh, you follow me. And so again, this is very common in the church, and even the, uh, the epistles talk about this, that we should not compare ourselves with each other. Don't be looking at the guy next to you, because what you'll do is you'll feel good about the misery therein, and you'll think to yourself, well, God's blessing me because I'm more obedient, and I uh, love the Lord more than they do. I mean, your whole your thinking is just wrong. Your eyes are off of Christ, and uh, not where they should be. So don't worry about your neighbor. Who art thou to judge another man's servant? It's a quote. How art thou uh, to judge another man's servant? You don't judge what God is doing in another person's life. He's working with their heart, just like he's working with yours. And Peter might have thought the Lord was done working with his heart when he looked at him and he convicted him and he wept, but he wasn't, you know, we'll just, we'll give you a break and now we're going to open it up some more. And that's been my experience with the Lord is I think he's done with me on a particular sin. I think I got a handle on it. And he says, oh no, no, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the closet here and pull out some more trash. So what does Peter do? He turns and he looks at, at John. And he goes, no, 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 wait a minute here. Um, he says, uh, Peter turning about, seeth a disciple whom Jesus loved um, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, um, which is he that betrayeth. thee?'" He's identifying John because that's from the Lord's table. Peter goes, seeth, him, seeth him, saith unto Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And then he says, hypothetically, if... I will that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee? Okay, I'm not talking about John here. I'm talking to you. You follow me. And so now everybody speculates, well, John is not going to die. The Lord's going to come before he dies. And he says, no, that's not what I said. I said, if I will that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee? I didn't say he would live until I come. I said, if, if this, if. So you just need to follow me. And so... Um, that is an, uh, certainly an admonition to every one of us. Keep your eyes on Christ. Follow him. Uh, while we partner in uh, in ministry, uh, don't be worried about what your neighbor's doing. Take care of, as another pastor used to say, stay in your lane and follow the Lord. And so John chapter 21, as does John itself, closes out with uh, the author identifying themselves as to who wrote it. It's true. It is, in fact, the word of God. And he says, um, you know, if everything that was written about what Christ did, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. We are speaking about an infinite God and plumbing the depths of who he is and the things that he did really would take everything on the planet. Every book could be written. And it still wouldn't encompass who Christ is. So by his grace... We will get to glory and fellowship eternally with the Lord and have um, far more things for us to um, meditate upon in terms of his glory. So we should appreciate that as the Gospel of John closes out, where is Christ here in this Gospel? He's right with his disciples on the shore, typifying heaven, having fellowship with them. And that's certainly what we would look forward to, that when we come to the heavenly shore, we shall forever be with our Lord. Amen. Thank